The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. (sighs) Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate, how a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word, Broomgate. The following is a presentation of the SpeedSport Podcast Network. Mike Wallace doesn't have all that much driving experience. For the last three or four years, he's put in his views in this business. Mike Wallace comes down to the line. He'll pick up the win. It's fast car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. The battle's for the lead. Mike Wallace gets by Jason Leffler. Mike Wallace comes off turn number four. A great move in that corner. He comes to the line and will win. From grassroots to the top of the racing world. Hear the stories of NASCAR's biggest names and how they made it all the way. Who was Tony Stewart before he was Tony Stewart? I could barely make enough money to pay attention, let alone to try to survive. From the Speed Sport Podcast Studios, powered by My Race Pass, here are your hosts, Mike Wallace and Jeff Kent. Welcome to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace, part of the Speed Sport Podcast Network, powered by My Race Pass. My name is Jeff Kent. Strap yourselves in, pull those belts tight. We'll take you on a journey from short tracks across America to super speedways and everything in between. Today's guest, Mike, no doubt. One of the biggest names in the sport. His career as a driver got an unlikely start in 1969 when a driver strike at Talladega left NASCAR president Bill France Sr. looking for replacement drivers. By 1971, he was racing as an independent driver using the number 96. He changed to number 3 in 1976 as a tribute to Junior Johnson. As a driver, he proved to be very capable, registering six top five finishes, 76 top tens, and five top ten points finishes. He retired from driving in 1981 and put a guy named Earnhardt behind the wheel. 
But that only lasted one season. Ricky Rudd was hired in 1982. However, Earnhardt returned for the 1984 season, and together they formed one of the most potent combinations in NASCAR history. He is a multi-championship car owner in Cup, Xfinity, and Trucks. Inducted into the NASCAR Hall of Fame in 2017. Check this headline, headline out, Mike. 16 NASCAR championships, 200-plus victories, 1 million laps, and counting. Let that marinate. <laughs> Richard Childress joins us. Say hi to Mike Wallace. Hello, Mike and Jeff. How you guys doing? <laughs> really good. Uh, uh, I'm awed by greatness right now. <laughs> well, well, I thought I was really cool. A million laps and counting. Yeah. <laughs> and that's hard to believe. I mean, I think I've watched most of them myself, though. Yeah, Richard, you know, you say that, and, and that's really unique because you're one of the few car owners that, I mean, it, it appears to be like at every event you have, every race that's going on, they uh, they catch you on television a lot, staying on top of your hauler, and uh, if it's a good day, they always, you know, air response, you're talking to your driver, so kudos, kudos to you and your uh, involvement in your race team, not just a team owner, but you're there, man, you're making it happen. Yeah, Mike, I've, I've been going, I guess, from about 73 until 85. I never missed a, an event. And then I got hung in uh, Northwest Territory and uh, missed a race and come back. And I didn't miss one until uh, way up in the late 90s. And then I, uh, I'm trying to, I try to take me two or three a year off. Well, you know, you, you've accomplished so much. And normally the way our show works, we ask you, of a, who were you before who you are? Which means we go back in time. But if you don't mind if we change it up just a little bit, just for Richard Childress, because it's an honor to have you on the show. But in, in 2022, in the latter part of 2022, you and your team were just the talk of the garage area. And the talk of the garage area is because there was the potential that you were going to hire Kyle Busch. Then... You hired Kyle Busch. <laughs> yeah. And not only hired him, your team, along with Austin, they, you guys come out at the Coliseum and run second and third. So way, way cool, way cool. And Jeff and I were talking, and, and we have to ask you just a little bit about that and have you elaborate, if you don't mind, on kind of how that whole sequence of events took place. But one time we yeah. we remember you looking at someone and telling them to hold your watch because you needed to adjust something <laughs> with Kyle Bush, and then you turn around and you give him a signing bonus of a watch. <laughs> well, you know, we Austin he knew that I was looking to put another driver in here, and I was going to run three cars and put Tyler in another charter that we had. So, uh, you know, he came out. Austin came to me. He says. Hey, Pop, Pop, what do you think about Kyle Busch? You know, he's, uh, him and Joe hadn't got their contract done yet. Would you talk to him? I said, yeah, sure, we'll talk. And and so he, uh, <laughs> excuse me, he had Kyle to come up, and we met at the airport. You know, we didn't want to be around where everybody could see us in the, in the, our conference room in our hangar. And uh, he, uh, we talked through the watch deal, and that's 100% behind us. We're not even going to bring it up ever again so all that's history you know you you learn from a lot of things and i think i grew up and i'm sure he did too both of us did and we uh we both put that behind us so 
now we're just looking at the future. You can't always look back. You learn from um, a lot of times you make mistakes, you learn from them. But we we put a deal together, and and we're able to sign him, and we worked a deal where we didn't have to run three cars. And Tyler went; he's driving a twenty three eleven now. That's where uh, he he wanted to go. So we, you know, I met with Andy Petrie, our uh, competition director, and our engineers, and Sammy Johns. I met with all these guys and uh, Randall Burnett. And talked to them. I said, what do y'all think? They said, if you do your job and you get him here, we'll do ours. And, man, I'm so thrilled to have Kyle Busch here. It's going to be a fun year. You know, it it always, everything's great, and then you'll have you two or three bad races. That's where you find the strength of your team and your relationships is when all those deals don't go just right. And we both know that. Uh, Kyle and myself know it, and, and we're we're ready for good days and bad days, and we're going to have a lot more good days than we are bad days, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. He is such a talented man, I can't tell you, just sitting there watching him, even at the Coliseum, come from the rear to second place and burn his tires off, or he was really coming. I think we had a shot there, and Austin, you know, he still had tires. He passed him right there at the end. Kyle let him go hoping he'd catch the 19 and he could pass them both when they got to racing. And for that reason, and for that reason, because he's such a talented guy, I mean, he's a generational driver, right? For that reason, I don't think, I personally don't think there's going to be that learning curve that a lot of teams have uh, right out of the gate. I think you guys are going to be successful right out of the gate. You must feel that way too. I do. And and with Randall Burnett and uh, Andrew and all the guys on that team, we kept the complete team, maybe all but one or two. We got to make sure our pit crew is, we got to execute. If we execute, we'll win some races this year. A lot of races, I think. And what, what it's done is made Austin better. And I think Austin will even make Kyle better. If if Kyle could be better, I think them two working together because here Kyle don't have, three other guys that, that is out there and the, the deal is him and Austin and they they have a good relationship. They had a relationship before he ever came up here uh, with their wives and talking. And so I, I think that it's going to really be good. You know, I'm just, I'm excited to get to Daytona, you know, Daytona, anything can happen, but I told him, I said, that's one race I want to be part of when you win it. You know, I don't want to win it. You know, we want to be part of Kyle Busch winning the Daytona 500. We were part of Dale Earnhardt winning the Daytona 500. And Kevin Harvick and Austin Dillon, uh, it's a big deal to be part of something. And he hadn't won Daytona, I think, in 17 years. We want to check that box for him, and we want to be part of it. So that's one of our goals right there. That's really exciting. That is exciting, and here we go. You got me fired up for the Daytona 500. Yeah, you, <laughs> you know a little little history, Richard, that you, you wouldn't know nothing about. But your your great crew chief you have there in Randall Burnett. Uh, we used to call him Randy. He grew up in St. Louis, and my wife used to race go karts against Randy. <laughs> he he that that little boy was the fastest kid in go karts. He he. He cooked everybody, man. He was he was so bad fast. He's such a good crew chief, and uh, we had him on this show back last year. And he was telling me how much of a pleasure it was working for you, and how excited because you, you're such a good executor. You put all the right people in place. So, uh, man, 
that's I'm excited for the it. Daytona 500. I know that's going to be a great combination. It'll be fun to watch. Yeah. So yeah, we we're gonna we're gonna do everything we can to have him there on that last lap. Yeah. Well, your 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 team and you and we'll, we'll keep I'll probably reference you more than the team all the time in this conversation, but I. You know how to get that speedway stuff done. You, you you were nice enough to give me an opportunity back when you started the 33 car. We went to Talladega and kind of run a test car for you down there with real tree on it. And yeah, I was yeah. driving that car, running second to Tony Stewart yeah. down the back straight and blew, it exploded a right rear tire. But we <laughs> and Richard goes, do me a favor. He says, I know it doesn't sound too appealing. He says, but we need a motor test. How about how about let us fix this thing and go back out and just keep running? And so uh, <laughs> it, it, it was fun at that point. So let me get to what our real show and concept is, Richard. Where and how did you get started in motorsports? Take me back in time and uh, before all the great stories we just talked about. But where did Richard Childers start racing? How did you get involved in it? Well, it's a it's a long story, but I'll, I'll give us a give us a speeded up version of it because we figured we yeah. could, we could talk to you so, for about eight hours, but we you don't uh, have that much time. <laughs> but uh, you know, when I was a kid, my dad passed away when I was six years old, and my uh, mother remarried, and I had a stepfather, and we were probably nine, eight, nine years old, something like that, and. Uh, so my stepfather said, I'm going to the races tonight. You boys want to go? I said, yeah. So I had, uh, I think just my older brother, my younger brother, which was Larry, went with us. We was watching it. We seen these kids selling peanuts and popcorn. And I said, man, that'd be cool. Let's get us a job and we come and watch the races. So uh, we asked him, he said, yep, you can, but you boys are going to have to walk. So back in, a kid could, in the middle of the night, go out and walk the streets or do whatever you wanted to. We'd walk all the way over, and we'd go by Billy and Bobby Myers' race shop, and we'd get in the car with them in the back of the car, and we'd, he'd drag us over there in the race car. That's when they towed them with a tow bar. or <clears throat> However we'd get there, however they were going, we would do that, or we'd walk to the track. And then that night, the race would be over 11, 12 o'clock. We'd walk home. And you couldn't do that today, for sure, kids could. So we did that for a couple of years, and I said, man, if I ever get the opportunity, I want to race. So it, when I got, uh, I did that and went to the races and worked for other race teams, old Gerald Robertson, and I can go back a lot of history where I was just helping people work on their cars and just hanging out with all these racing guys. And, uh, it just was a special deal for a kid to be able to do it. And then as I got to, uh, I wasn't quite old enough. I was, I think, I was 17. You had to be 18 in to even get a NASCAR license, I think. Hell, it might have been 21. But anyway, we forged my mom's name, went out and bought an old $20 taxi cab. And uh, that was my first race car, 47 Plymouth. And uh, run it in the $99 claiming division at Bone Gray Stadium. That was my first outing. And I had a partner, Jerry Cooper, even in on that $20 car. And it was so much fun. I got to drive it to second. We, we flipped. He drove it to first. I drove it to second. So then we, bought, we became a two-car team. And that's how I got started in racing going back in history. 
Wow. That's a, it's a great stopping point. We're going to take a timeout right here. And when we come back more with T-Moto Richard Childress, you're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the Speed Sport Podcast Network, powered by My Race Pass and NASCAR Digital Media. Welcome back to the Speedsport Podcast Studios. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. My name is Jeff Kent. Today's guest, no doubt, one of the biggest names of the sport, Richard Childress on the line. And once again, here's Mike Wallace. Well, Richard, I was intrigued by you. First of all, forged mom's signature. <laughs> then you had your $20 car. and A $20 uh, taxi cab. Taxi cab. <laughs> and and uh, yeah. you, you split the driving time. So take us from there. Tell us more about that. Well, we uh, ran Bowman Grace Stadium, so the next week we bought an old 54 Plymouth, and I think we paid 40 bucks for it, and we had another guy throw in some money on it. So I started driving it, and uh, Jared was driving the old 47, and we raced there for at Bowman Grace Stadium for, I don't know, a year or so in the claiming division. Then I went to the hobby division, raced it. Then uh, I went to Modified and started running modifieds at Bowman Gray Stadium. And then uh, in between that period, I, you know, I was making some money. I'll go into that some other day. But it was all legal, close <laughs> as it could be. I never did anything that wrong. You know, maybe run a gambling house or something. But anyway, we we had a – I had a 62 Ford Fairlane, and we turned it into a dirt car, and I had a partner on it, and we'd switch out driving it. And uh, we started running dirt, and then I got me a dirt car. Had an old uh, 55 Ford was the first one, I think, even before we had the Fairlane. And uh, we ran those things, hitting all these little local dirt tracks and stuff. And then that's when I got to Modified was after that. And I started racing South Boston and a lot of different places and uh, Martinsville, all, all around in those Modifieds. And, you know, then come along 1969 uh you know i had a, a friend or ernie shaw i'm going back in history now people wouldn't even know these people but we ended up uh he he bought an old mustang and i bought an old 69 camaro that had been wrecked and i took it and we knew the grand touring series because the france family was at bowman gray stadium they actually that's where uh Bill Jr. and all of them used to be at Jim France would would work there. And I didn't know that. So we, they used to work at Bowman Gray Stadium? Oh, they ran it. That's where Bill met uh, Betty Jane was at Reynolds uh, Park over at the swimming pool. He, he worked at Bowman Gray Stadium. I don't know that they owned it, but they promoted it. And Alvin Hawkins was the uh, promoter. Yeah, but the France family was there. They they did a lot with Bowman Gray Stadium. Wow, I didn't know that, Jeff Kent. That's amazing to me. Nor did I. Yeah, okay. I'm... Yep. Yeah, you'll have to do a little research on that. But anyway, we uh, just being there at the stadium and everything, I just fell in love with racing. And we found out about the uh, Grand Touring Series that was going to start. So I bought this old – went to Ramsour, North Carolina – and bought an old Camaro that had been wrecked and went to the bank and borrowed $400 for refinance on my house and borrowed $400 to go buy that car and fix it and went to Daytona with it in 1969. And I slept in a tent. Before that, I went down there with Wayne Smith, who used to race out of Winston-Salem, and we'd stay at Nova Road Campgrounds 
which was, I, they're still there, I think. But we'd sleep in a tent out there at, uh, on Nova Road campgrounds back in the 60s, late 60s. And when I went down there in 69, an old friend of mine had one of pop-top campers. Oh, man, if I could tell this story, it'd take all day. But anyway, we went down there, and that's what we stayed in in 69 when I uh, uh, raced my first race. I qualified eighth right outside of Lloyd Ruby, which I don't know people. Oh, that's a famous name. Yeah. Pardelli, all the big-time drivers was in that first uh, race, Grand Tour, and it was called the Grand American then, and we ran the road course. And that's kind of got me moving and going on my wheels. But when I'd go down there with Wayne, uh, I remember going to Daytona in probably 67 or 8, right in there somewhere. And it was still dirt behind Pitt Road back there in those days. And it was just only concrete bleachers, as good as I can remember. But that's when I just fell in love with the sport. And I've loved it and still do today. So just when you go to Daytona this weekend, just for old time's sake, you're going to sleep in a tent or no? <laughs> no, but I, I have ridden by there. I, I, occasionally, I'll ride by there just where I remember. You never forget where you come from. Right. So many people just never forget where you come from. Well, that, that's humbling in all honesty. You know, everybody, I mean, Richard Childress has always, ever since I've been around the sport, is Richard Childress. He's right. the man, you yeah. know. And sitting here thinking he slept in a tent in 1969 at Daytona, you know, and uh Good times. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you got to start somewhere, Mike. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's a lot of people think I'm just some old rich guy that went out here and, uh, uh, you know, I am got into racing. Here we are. You know, I'm doing all this. But that old $20 investment wasn't a very bad investment well, if you look back in time. Without a doubt. I just want to let you know, Richard, when you just made that comment about somebody thought you were just a rich guy or something, your Wikipedia page tells about how you're a NASCAR race race driver. And it, then it says, he became one of the wealthiest men in North Carolina. <laughs> so, so the I world, hope you don't believe everything you read on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> I printed it out in bold print that I wouldn't miss it. I've always said if it's on the internet, it's got to be true, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. great, great story. So but after that, I've been very fortunate. You know, I've been blessed because of, a lot of people I surrounded myself with, if you want to see who you are, look at the people you're around or tie yourself with. And that'll tell you who you're going to be or who you are. From the time you're a kid, you just look at that kid and look at the people that are around, and it, it usually tells you where they're at or where they're going. And I've been fortunate in life to really hang with some good people. My, my granddaddy was a preacher. He was a holiness preacher, and I learned a lot. I've been uh, had a lot of great mentors in my life, and uh, that's what it's about is getting the right people around you. And I'm still got the right people around me today. Yeah, and we... look at us, Mike. You're sitting here with me, and I'm sitting here with you. So who got the best end of that deal? <laughs> hey, we got Richard Childress on the other end of the line. You know, there's not a lot of people that can swing that. So thank you again, Richard, for coming on. So uh, we, we talk about the early days of Daytona in 1969, 70, all that. And your driving career in NASCAR racing is racing a NASCAR. You ran the Grand American Tour. How did, how did you do in that series? How did, how did that work out for you? 
you know, we all always had to make enough money to send money home. One time we went, we were gone for like 45 days or almost over two months. And I'd take the money that I always had to do it when I was driving to make enough money to make sure my family was well taken care of uh, with me on the road and gone. And then I'd always try to make enough money to keep putting money back. And, and going back to 1969, when they had to boycott at Talladega, that was one of the biggest turning points, I guess, in, in Richard Childress's life or career or however you'd want to put it. But Bill France Sr., we ran that race at Talladega. And I hate to keep skipping around, but things come back. Sure. But we were ran the race, the road course at Talladega. He had us all to come over. That's when the very first race ever there. And the cup guys back then, there was a grand national boycotted because the speeds were too fast. They were over 200 mile an hour, 201 or two. And, uh, and some of them just boycotted, loaded up their cars and left. Well, Bill France was going to run that race. And he asked us to run it that next day. Back then we'd get deal money and I'm, I'm going to throw quick numbers at it. Probably wasn't this much or it could have been more. It's like $250 to come and race this uh, uh, Grand Touring race or Grand American race and whatever you want. And then that evening, he, he said, boys, if y'all stay, I think it was $500 and what you win. So that day after that, uh, back then, the Grand National race, the Talladega 500 that we ran in, I ran the very first one. And uh, I left Talladega with probably, I'm going to just guess, somewhere between three and $4,000 because, you know, count my winnings in both of them. Mm-hmm. And I just kept looking at back in, you'd get paid some in cash and some in a check. And old Mary Bruner, she would pay us. So uh, I never will forget, I had an old 54, uh, 54 Ford pickup truck dragging that thing with and went up the road, and I just stopped and looked at that money. I said, man. I'll never have to work again in my life. <laughs> With three thousand, here I am. Here I am, still working. <laughs> well, well, your so, t- your taste has got a little higher since right? that time. Ain't you know? that much money you can <laughs> afford to buy a new tent? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But but you know, I took I took that money and come back and bought a little piece of land, built a garage, financed part of it, and then I opened a garage called Central Automotive over there on Highway One Hundred Nine. We raced out of there, and uh, so that was uh, that was a big break to be able to get that kind of money to get started. So, so the strike at Talladega set you up pretty good for for a while there. Then it, it gave you a launch to get a piece of property and and, and move Build on. Building. Yeah. So, did since you ran that first race then at Talladega in the Grand National Series. Did you pre- continue to run more races, or was that just like a one-off deal for a while? That was a one-off, and we kept running the. Uh, uh, we were running the uh, all the Grand American races. We'd go on a tour. We left one time, and we went to uh, all down through uh, Huntsville, Birmingham, all them tracks in Alabama. We ran about twenty races before we ever came home, all the way up up north, Stanford Springs. Oxford Plains, and I'd you know, run the race. I'd send whatever I could uh, 
back home, you know, make sure my family had money. So that was, uh, that was the days back then. And in 1973, well, it really happened in 72. We were at Iceland, New York, maybe on that same tour racing. And, uh, I told, uh, this old guy, his driver had a little problem. And he said, will you drive my car tonight? And I said, sure, man, I'd love to get in that thing. It was a good car. And I think I run second or third to Bobby Allison. I can't remember. Bobby won it, and I ended up second or third or wherever it was in there. And uh, it was a, a grand touring race. And I was in his car. I let my brother start my car just for the deal money. So in 73, he uh, – so a lot happened in 72 from that time on, but in 73, uh, you know, Tom Garns, who owned L.C. Newton Trucking, he owned that car and stuff. And I, uh, uh, so he asked me, he said, if I build a, a cup car, will you come and drive it? I said, sure, I'd love to. So he built this uh, Laguna Chevrolet back in 73, and I went to Daytona, made a race with it, that's back in. It had 50, 60, you know, cars in it. And I'd always go to Daytona and qualify in the top 10 or as good as I could where I wouldn't have to run those 125s because, man, they tore some stuff up back in them days. So that was sort of the plan around that. So that's how I really got into the strong cup racing. In 74, his partners made him get out, so I ended up buying that team from him. And, uh, getting NASCAR, going to the bank down there and borrowing the money to buy the team from him. That's a lot of history here. It all just didn't come overnight, trust me. Yeah, so Richard, if you don't mind me asking, it's kind of a personal question, but I, I loved hearing you say how you were sending money back home. At that time, when you know, besides being married, children-wise, what, what do you have? I know I know the daughter yeah, that had, you have, and but is there other yeah, children? Yeah, I, I just had one daughter and my wife, and... Uh, house and you know they had payments and they had to eat and everything so i'm trying to think i i don't know if we tell it i can't remember how we'd done it but it wasn't like wiring the money or right. putting a check in there it was some way we seemed like you used to buy these uh, western money union or, or something like that. Yeah. yeah yeah we'd send it and get it to them like that there, but that's going back in time, you know. Yes, well, sure. I mean, that's the great part of this show is because people know you as who you are today primarily. And the, the backstories are always so much better, you know. I mean, you when I say better, they're nice for a story because you weren't just the rich guy from North Carolina, you know. Uh, as you as you mentioned earlier, you, you, you struggled. You worked hard at it. You mentioned a brother. I, I never were, didn't know where you had a brother. What, is he younger, older than you? It was five of us and oh, wow. uh, two two sisters, two brothers, and they were all younger than me. And I still have one sister living and one brother living. So, uh, you know, so we're uh, we're still here. Gotcha. So, so back up to seventy four or whatever. Or what do you think, Jeff? Let's take a time out right here. Okay. And we'll pick it up when we come back. We're talking to Richard Childress. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the Speed Sport Podcast Network, powered by My Race Pass and NASCAR Digital Media. 
Welcome back to the Speedsport Podcast Studios. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. My name is Jeff Kent. We're on the line with Richard Childress, the one and only. And once again, here's Mike Wallace. Well, Richard, so far, you, we, we know you're uh, taking time out of your day and you got a hectic schedule, so we're going to try to speed this up more than we normally would. So after that 74 era, and let's get to the point of where you got involved as a car owner. T- tell us how that started and how you the fame of bringing Dale Earnhardt on board. How did that get started? You know, that's a whole nother chapter in the book for sure. But, uh, I want the copyrights to the book since we're talking about it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. 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 We, uh, I guess I, I could see the sport changing, Mike, just like it's changing today. Um, in the last four or five years, it's really changed. I could see, I've been very fortunate in life to, to be able to see some things maybe before they happen. And I could see when MC Anderson come into it, Warner Hodgson, Osterlin, all these big money car owners started coming in and I could run in my top 10. I'd get my top tens out of it and, uh, you know, making a little money, doing pretty well. And then it kind of kept moving me back. Okay. You're out of the top 10. Now you run the top 15. Pretty soon I was borderline 15th and falling back because I didn't have the money that it took to race with, you know, Junior Johnson, Bud Moore, all of these people. We had four big names at that time. That was there. You had Junior, Bud Moore, uh, Petties, and uh, K&K. And those were your big four. There was one or two more. The Wood Brothers would come in and race maybe 20 races. But, uh, you know, I could see me sliding back, and I said, man, i got to do something. So my friends at R.J. Reynolds, I kept telling a bunch of them, Wes B. Roth, Ralph C. Graves, T. Wayne, all them guys, I said, man, i got to get out of this thing. i got to do something. I, if I don't, I'm going to be doing something else in life because I can't keep racing like this is. Because I wasn't having as much fun running where I was as I was when you could get them top ten runs. And... uh so I ended up uh, letting them know that. Well, they came to me and said, hey, would you talk to Dale Earnhardt? You said you wanted to get out of the car. I said, yeah, but I said, uh, I'm not really sure that I want to get out. You know, it was a hard decision, you know, at the time to quit racing. I wasn't ready. I was only 30-some years old. And I said, yeah, I'll, uh, yeah, let's talk about it. So, uh in the meantime, I uh, we run Dale 10 races. So we met at the downtowner in Anniston, Alabama, and put our deal together that night. Before that, I met with Junior Johnson over at the six-day motel or whatever it is there And uh, as you get off the interstate. You probably know where I'm talking. You might have stayed there, Mike. <laughs> probably have. <laughs> but uh, I met with Junior, and he said, look, he said, because I was – good friends with junior throughout the years and he uh he said look there's a lot of good race drivers out here but there's no good you know future car owners coming that that knows the sport we got people coming in that's buying their way in he said you'd probably do good so i took his advice went and met with him dale and i we put the deal together for 10 races in 1981 and uh man it felt like somebody cut my arms off when i couldn't run that race that first race I bet. And put Dale in it, and uh, we ran 10 races, and, man, we knew we had something special. We we were hunting buddies. We knew an old guy up here. We, we'd done some hunting, 
and I knew Dale before that, and uh, put our deal together, and we knew we had something special. Both of us knew it. We, you know, we both lost our dads, and our moms were about alike. It was just so much in common with both of us, and we built a, a friendship that, beyond just being able to work together, we built a close friendship. And so, then I carried uh, uh, at the end of. 81, I carried Greg Sachs to Daytona to start the 82 season with, and uh, it didn't work good. He wrecked the car, and then we put Ricky Rudd in it. Ralph Seagraves bought, brought Ricky Rudd, said, Piedmont Airlines wants a young and up-and-coming driver. I said, hell, that's me. No, they want a young <laughs> up-and-coming driver. So I hired Ricky Rudd to run 82 and 83 for us. Now, and, Richard, uh, in that time, Ralph Seagraves, who you talk about – I never met the man, but he was the guy behind the RJR brand, right, in racing, the Winston brand. Was he was that his position when he was talking to you about bringing yeah, Rudd on board? He ran the whole RGR, R.J. Reynolds uh, sports. He, I mean, he was the man. He's the one that brought Winston to NASCAR. Uh, Junior knew Ralph good, and they put that deal together and brought it to uh, – um, brought it to NASCAR, the Winston series. This Ralph Seagraves is who brought it there. Okay, so Ralph. And so, uh, so Ralph wanted you to have Ricky Rudd, and you, so yeah. So we ran Ricky for two years, and the whole time, Dale and I were hunting buddies, and we were going to South Carolina hunting together and talking, always talking about how we wanted to get back together sometime. And it's so much more to that story. I ain't even going to, I'm going to save that for the book someday. But we had somebody else to get us, try to get us to drive for them. And we had a big sponsor lined up. And so I had Wrangler, uh, you know, so we took Wrangler and went over there. Junior Johnson's the one that said, hey, Wrangler wants to put uh, you and Dale back together. And Ralph, so... uh, we ended up putting Wrangler and Dale and myself together, went over to Bob O'Deer's home and put that deal together that night. And he ended up putting Ricky in Bud Moore's car and, uh, and, uh, with Wrangler on it. So Wrangler had two, two cars that year in 84, 85. And then, uh, so Dale drove for us. We won our first race together in 84. But I won a race with, we won a race with Ricky Rudd in Texas, a USAC race, because Ricky was always, you know, he had a deal. I don't know if I ever win. We got into a big round at Martinsville. We thought we was going to win, didn't he? He got in a big deal with uh, Joe Rutman up there. And anyway, I said, come on, we're going to go to Texas. We went down there, sat on the pole, won the race. I said, see, you can win races. It was good. Ricky Rudd was really good for RCR and for Ricky Rudd because it built both of us up and built our confidence up. So put Dale in there in 84, and the rest of it with Dale was history all the way up until 2001, February 18th. February 18th. I remember that day well, and uh, the, the world does. But So let's fast forward after Dale Earnhardt. What was the next progression? I mean, that had to, uh, I mean, for your friendship, your business relationship, all the ties you had together, that had to kind of subdue it a little bit. But as a businessman, you had to keep going. Yeah, well, we, uh, 
you know, that night after that, I went back and uh, talked to my wife, and I said, you know, we're going to sell this thing as soon as I get back home. I'm, I'm going to get out of it. I'm out of racing. Lost some best friend. We lost – Dale was our franchise for RCR. Uh, so we uh, – you know, it, it was a tough deal. You know, it just it, – it was a burden. It still bothers me today even thinking mm-hmm. about it. But uh, so – we were at Bill France Jr.'s house over there, and we was waiting. We was going to fly back with a body that night with Teresa and Judy and myself, and Mike Hilton was with us. And we, uh, I was out there on Bill's dock out there and just out there thinking by myself. I spent an hour or two out there just thinking. And I thought about this big hunting uh, we caused a great horse wreck. Now, if y'all need to take a break, holler at me. Yes, but so we we uh, got to think about that great horse wreck and Dale. You know, I fell off the mountain. The horse. It's a long story. Anyway, we get back to camp that night, and I said, Dale, you know, if I hadn't made it off this mountain today, you'd have had to went on and raced next weekend. We were on the way to Phoenix. He and I were, and we were hunting. And I said, uh, if I hadn't made it off this mountain, you'd have had to went on and go on and race at Phoenix. He said, Well, if it ever happens to me, he said you got to go race. Mm. So it hit me like a ton of bricks standing out there. Stood there for a few minutes, emotional, and I went uh, back inside. I called Bobby Hutchins. I said, Bobby, we're going to Rockingham. Paint the car white. Call NASCAR. Get the lowest number you can. And uh, be at the shop tonight. Have Kevin Harvick there. I'm going to put Kevin Harvick in the car if he wants to drive it. I knew he did because we was going to put him in another car the next year. So uh, that's how all that went down. If it hadn't have been for the great horse wreck, I might not be here today. So I got to thinking what Dale told me, and we went to Rockingham Racing. Well, you guys had a premonition, the great horse wreck. I know we'll have to get to that at some no other kidding. time. But, uh, yeah. wow. And you mentioned Bobby Hutchins. I ran into Bobby a week ago at a gas station. What, what yeah. a small oh, world. But Yeah. Uh, so you, you continued, you took uh, Kevin Harvick on to Rockingham, and yep. then then you, was it a week later, two weeks later, you guys shocked the world and you won Atlanta? Yes, three weeks later, we on the third race it was, I think, that year. Uh, we had Daytona, Rockingham, and Atlanta, and we go down there and win, win Atlanta. Just like, it's almost scary, if you're in our museum up here and watch the race when Dale won that race and beat uh, uh, Bobby Labonte by just a barely nose. And then Kevin Harvick comes right back with one of Dale's cars the next year and beats Jeff Gordon by just a nose. Uh, it's almost scary to see how both of those came down the same way. But we did that. And we won the race. And I think that was a healing point. We had a lot of healing points that year for the fans and us as well. Mm-hmm. Dale winning that race. Dale Jr. winning. Uh, Steve Park uh, winning. And, you know, just so much stuff went down. Dale Jr. won Daytona in July. So many things was little healing moments. You, a lot of people still suffer from the loss of Dale. But those were healing moments at the time when we needed them. Oh, that's inspiring. I'm glad, I'm glad to hear that. So, 
I'm going to fast forward because I know you're on a time crunch here. You come to 2022, we, we have a brand new, you know, your, your career is documented from that point. Everybody knows how, how great RCR was at that point. So you, we come to 2022, and I'd like to get your opinion on what I call the current status of NASCAR racing. Not in-depth, just a quick overview, because earlier in the show you'd mentioned racing was changing back years ago, and it's changing today. When when this whole new car design that come about, did that fit Richard Childress racing? Did you like what you were seeing, or was you didn't know what was, was taking place, but you were going to just stay part of it? Yeah, I, could, I knew it was coming from five years ago not this exact piece but i knew that there was going to be change coming and some pretty serious change and you know we we've got a pretty good size operation here from fabrication to engines to a lot of different things and i started diversifying back probably four years ago doing military work and a lot of other outside work and because i could see the change coming and sure enough when it came if we hadn't, we'd have had to laid a lot of people off in our fabrication shop in a lot of areas because now we're having to buy the stuff. So this whole car is a different change, but the biggest change in this whole car is is so engineer-driven. NASCAR's done a great job so far of keeping the rules and keeping everybody pretty much in track, but the thing is so engineer-driven every everything about the car and now you know before you know it may take a hundred thousandths to make a difference now 20 and 30 thousandths is making a difference in this car Hmm. and all the different moves you make in it one thing will make react to the other end of the car so you got to have the right engineering group working with you gotcha so in in long run of things do you think this new car, because I've heard from various owners in various conversations and things like that, that, wow, this car was supposed to save us a lot of money, but it, we can't see that yet, and we don't know where we're going to see it. Do you feel that same way, or I know it's kind of on a different track than the story of Richard Childress, but is it good for the sport right now? Well, I, mean, I think the car puts on a great show. I think there's still we're still tweaking on it. We've only ran it one year, mm-hmm. where we've ran these other cars for years and years, and every year we're going to refine it, and they're going to get better and better. There were a lot better cars this year, at uh, out than it was last year, uh, out at uh, the Coliseum, because everybody's had a year to work on it. It's only going to get better with time, and the teams are only going to get better. But uh, I think as far as the cost, yes, sir, the cost is. Nothing compared to where we thought it was going to be. And the savings are not going to be there. Everything's gone up, constantly going up, which everybody knows today. Inflation's hit everything, but it's hit this car harder than any of us had ever expected. Some of the components, we're we're using them up a lot quicker than we anticipated. So it's expensive, but I think putting on a great show for the fans, at the end of the day, we're in show business. We got to put on a great show every time we go out there. I think this car has a potential to keep putting it on. What did we have? 14, 15 winners last year, something like that. So uh, different winners. So it, that's a sign that this car is working. Uh, and just a final note, if you don't mind me asking. So I read today before on the way to the show here that where NASCAR is considering wanting to do a New York City street race next year. Wow. 
are are you open to ideas like that, or do you think we're they're they're jumping too far out of the box too quick? You know, I learned one thing many many years ago, Mike. You know, what whatever NASCAR wants to do, I'm going to be right there with them. <laughs> you know, if if you get set in your old ways, I I look back at so many of the car owners that wasn't willing to make change. I'm ready to make whatever change. If they tell us, I guess they got all kind of different ideas and plans for the future. We're going to be changing with the future because the future is change and we got to change with them. And if you want to survive, if they want to race the streets of New York, we're right there with them, whatever they mm-hmm. want to do. Jeff Kent, that was an incredible answer right there. Right. right? And, oh. you know, with the street race in Chicago coming up, you know, we'll see how that goes, but I think it's going to go well. Yeah. So I think it's cool. Uh, yeah. I think, I think it is. And, and you know, the, our audience has changed so much from the days of uh, back in the 80s and early 90s. And I think that you can't always look back and keep things like they were. Uh, although, man, I miss those days. I love those fans. I love them all. I love our new fans. But at the end of the day, you got to have change. And if you can't accept change, you're going to stand still. Well, Richard Childress, you're, you're the master and the successful person that has uh, sustained change. Started from the 60s all the way to 2023, and you're on top of the game. And uh, I can't thank you enough for taking your time to uh, come talk to Jeff Kent and I. And the, what do we call it, Jeff? The whole world. The whole world is listening. Yes. Richard. Yeah, well, thank you, guys. And thanks for keeping our sport rolling, guys. And uh, I enjoyed it and told you a little bit old history about the old RCR brand. So. We're still riding for the brand. Been a lot of fun. And, hey, listen, good luck in Daytona this weekend, too. Yes, sir. You go have fun down there. Always use it. Win you a race. Thank you very much. All right. Here goes Richard Childress. You've been listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the SpeedSport Podcast Network, powered by MyRacePass and NASCAR Digital Media. We'll see you next week.